0: Hello and welcome to Words in a Time of Lockdown, a podcast from The Writer's Block, exploring creativity and creative writing in a time of change. The Writer's Block is the creative writing centre for Cornwall, and I am Polly Roberts, a writer and member of the Writer's Block team. This season I'm talking with writers living in and connected to Cornwall. We hope you find some warmth and inspiration in what you hear. Today's conversation is with Louisa Adjua-Parker, Louisa is a British writer and poet of Ghanaian and English heritage who lives in South West England. She is a speaker on rural racism, black history and mental health, with a passion to tell the stories of marginalised voices. Hi, Louisa, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You're so welcome. It's a bit of a, um, a crazy time. I mean, we're in our third lockdown and... There's a lot going on in the world. How how is life kind of going for you at the moment? Are you very busy?
1: Um, I'm, I'm finding the latest lockdown really challenging. To be honest, um, I'm sure. I think everybody's kind of feeling feeling the same. Um, so say so work wise, I've been a little bit quieter since Christmas, which is which is actually good because I was extremely busy sort of from about May last year with loads and loads of different work coming in. So um, it's a bit quieter. But yeah, I'm just kind of in this in the process of. Um, Applying for for different projects and and that kind of thing. I've just published my short story collection. Oh, yes. um, So that, that's exciting. Thank you.
0: It's really exciting. So you just received the books through? Yeah, you, is just this last the first week. time you've kind of seen them. Just last week, yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh! How did that feel to open that? It box? was
1: it was a real. To be honest with you, on that particular day, I wasn't feeling very good about everything that's going on. So it was it felt a bit sad that um, this mm. collection, which I wrote quite a few years ago now and, and it's kind of come into the world when the world is different to you know what we're used to and it did feel a bit sad but mm. since then I'm kind of yeah I'm kind of getting back to feeling excited about it so at the actual day yeah. it was kind of like this is amazing but it's sad at the same time <laughs> it's an odd thing
0: isn't yeah. it I mean releasing a book at a time like this but what you say yeah it really strikes me that a friend released a book just this month, and when I was reading it, it was just about a completely different world. It almost felt alien that all these people were walking around and interacting, and yeah. And I thought, gosh, you know, that those are the books that are coming out now, though, and and hopefully we won't be in this same space in the future too. So we might not even want to be reading about being in isolation then. But as a writer, I guess it's normal that you want the work to feel kind of where you're at now and often by the time it's released it's just not where you're
1: at yeah it's a really strange feeling and I think that also um I've been I'm writing a memoir as well a coastal sort of memoir um which is going to be published mm. next year now I've decided we sort of moved it forward because I really wanted to have a face-to-face live book launch for, right. for, that, for that book because I can't have that one for the, the short story collection but I think that with everything that's going on, I have suddenly felt like I really do want to write about it and record it. So I think it, there's going to be elements of that in the memoir because I'm writing the memoir during this time. So it would right. feel really inauthentic not to talk about what's happening and talk about my feelings about it and my sort of particular struggles. Um, and it's interesting, really, also, as well, because because of everything that's going on I sort of I've been reflecting on on my part on my past as I'm obviously writing the book as well and it's kind of it's yeah. really interesting to see the feelings that I've had throughout my life of, of feeling different and a feeling of an, out, of an outsider and feeling very lonely and those feelings are coming up really strongly right now for different reasons so it's it's quite interesting to sort of be writing and reflecting on your own life during a time like this which is you know it's surreal and None of us are really sort of, you know, emotionally prepared for this kind of kind of world that we live in at the moment. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting time and I do want to record some of what's going on. That is
0: fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, wow, i got two things in that. One for me is, I know I've kind of had a resistance to writing about what's going on now because it's it's almost felt, ugh, I hate to say it, but almost like ugly or, or just so hard maybe that yeah. it's felt a bit difficult to, yeah. to turn to. And at the same time, like you say, it would be inauthentic not to and as a writer I'm so often for me I'm responding to what's happening in my life so yeah. it would be so strange if I didn't raise it.
1: Yeah absolutely I, yeah I felt the same up until recently I've written a couple of things so I've written a couple of short um, blog posts uh, around writing in lockdown and so on but up until sort of really just recently I sort of I didn't really want to write about it because it felt too too dark but the reality mm. is that as writers we're writing in this time so you know, we, it's inevitable that we're going to reflect what's going on in our work somehow, I think.
0: Mm, and I, I feel like you do a really beautiful balance in your work of of responding to the moment, to the darkness of what might be going on in a, a bigger picture and also a smaller picture. But also you do kind of meld that into reflecting back and there's kind of a connection between the past, whether that be a broader historical past or your own personal past and and the moment. Is that something you kind of notice yourself doing when you're making those links while you're writing?
1: I think so yeah I think that um, for me the past and the present are so intrinsically linked that it's impossible to separate them and I know that there's often um, particularly around sort of well-being and mental health there's often a focus on being in the moment and being in the now and I think that's obviously Mm. that's fantastic for when we can have those moments of of, of, um, of clarity and being present but I think also that for me, it's important to acknowledge the past because the past shapes us and everything that's happened in the past shapes us as individuals and us as society. So I can't really kind of separate them completely. Um, so yeah, yeah, it definitely is, is a big part of my work, I, I would I would say, and something that interests me as well, you know, how things change.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting noticing that thing of how things change. And I, I'm really curious about this process of writing your memoir because it, it must be a very strange thing writing out your life and and noticing the differences and and noticing the kind of steps that have taken you to where you are and 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 who you are at the moment and i i have really found myself that this time of isolation has made me reflect back a lot more actually and almost like kind of find find even deeper riches in the past because it's it's something that i've got with me at home that i can kind of personally Delve into and mine for, um, yeah. So tell me about how how is it writing about yourself and kind of going back and how does that feel? Uh,
1: <laughs> it's quite challenging, actually. I mean, so last year I did sort of bits and pieces of work on the on the memoir when I had time, but it was it was quite challenging actually, just juggling my time because um, obviously I do lots of other things as well as actual writing. I do workshops and talks mm. and panels and different heritage projects, and more recently I've been doing equality training and so on. So finding the time to write the memoir was, was quite challenging, but um but when I when I do find the time, like at the moment I I've got time to to work on the book, when I do it's it's um it can be quite upsetting really because I'm I'm looking at my past, um, partly through memory, but also I've got some diaries from the nineteen eighties. Um and I yeah. recorded it sort of everything that happened to me as a teenager living in Devon. Um and looking back through a nearly fifty year old's eyes, it it you know it, everything I question everything wow. like even um for example recently I've been reading about starting a new school so I went to the Steiner school in in Dartington for a couple of years and then unfortunately they couldn't keep our class on so we had to leave and go to Kevic's in, in Totnes um oh my gosh. so what I'm writing about at the moment is that experience of uh, sort of um being basically chucked out of one school into another one which is very different and having to um adjust to the state system having been in in a a different sort of um culture for a couple of years um and just some of the ways that the teachers spoke to us as as, as children in the 80s is actually pretty shocking now reading it reading it through my eyes so so it's interesting sort of at the time I was 15, 16, I was aware of these things, but now it's kind of looking back, you're like, oh my goodness, did that really happen? Um, And it's quite sad looking at the ways that people treated me as a mixed race girl. Um, Mm. So there were the teachers, um, not the teachers at Steiner School, actually, because I... I think they were. It was. It was kind of different there. And the teacher I had, particularly, I feel as though he saw potential in me, and he saw potential in in everybody. I think. I think he, because we were a very small class of of students. He's. We you know we had a good relationship with him, and um, he knew us really well. So that was different. But going to a state school where you've got a much bigger, obviously much bigger classes, um, and I was one of the Steiner kids, and we were seen as quite different and alternative, and I was black as well. Yeah. So. There was that yeah. added layer. So I I feel I felt as though uh, I wasn't really... I wasn't supported or understood or... I think things would be very different now, um, you know, for, for young people going through difficult times. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it's really interesting. That is
0: one of the things I was going to ask. It's, it, I mean, I have to raise at this point that I actually... I actually was a student at Kevick as well um, and, um, really,
1: I, think and before, I, we?
0: <laughs> I completely remember the the moment when the Steiner students would come across and it's really? something I feel a bit oh gosh yeah <laughs> and it, it makes me uncomfortable those things where you do look back and you do go gosh that was not on or things weren't okay then uh, but yeah. you're a child so you're accepting the norm yeah, and, absolutely. and for me yeah i remember the steiner students coming over it was like oh who are these interesting people everyone was talking about it and and then there were other various groups that i i now think gosh i can't believe people including teachers and adults were talking about these people in these ways and and there were only two black students in the entire school the time that i was there and I do hope that these, do you feel like these things are changing?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, just just go, go back to that. What year were you at Kevick's then? Or Kevick as it's now known. Uh, so I would have
0: left Kevick in 2005.
1: Oh, so that was quite a few years after I left. Um,
0: yeah, it's interesting that it hasn't changed that much in that time. no, though. in that case That's then. Really, yeah,
1: because yeah, when I was there, there was, I think there was me and one other mixed race boy, as far as I remember. Um, so yeah that's quite yeah so I left in well I got asked to leave in 1980 no 1990 the beginning of 1990 I think um I was in sixth form at Kennecott and um I'd just left home and I'd moved into a squat and I really wasn't working I was trying but it's very difficult when you're in that environment um and the school sort of you know gave me a last chance and I did try really hard and get my um work in and then it was just no no good Um, And my friends, my friends from Styler went and sort of begged them to let me stay. Um, And they just said no. And I just remember leaving and just, yeah, just being sort of thrown out into the world. It was, uh, yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about Keviks recently, Kevik. And I'd I'd love to go back, um, just go walk around the school. Or I'd love to go back and just talk to the students about my experiences. I I really would, because I think it when you're an adolescent and you're having a difficult time, these years, is, they're so formative, aren't they? They, You know, all these things really mm. shape you as a person and my experience of being in Tottenham and being at different schools in Tottenham re- have really shaped me, you know, and I'm partly the person I am today because of, because of those experiences.
0: Is this part of what spurs you on in your writing to kind of share your experience in the hope that potentially someone else might be able to hear and learn from it as well yeah
1: absolutely i think the reason i started writing really was um i started writing poetry and articles first of all um in my kind of late 20s uh, and the whole reason was really that i wanted i wanted to talk about racism and how it feels to be a black person a black teenager living in devon mm. which is like so unbelievably white or it was it was them and i when i lived there in, um, in the 80s yeah. um so i really hope that I, I kind of want that human connection so i want a white person to read my work and think oh, okay and and try and relate and try and understand because obviously as a white person you're never going to completely understand how it feels to be be black or mixed race in devon or in the west country but i'm really hoping that there'll be that there'll be something that people can connect with that's what that's what i really hope hope to do that there'll be that understanding something will resonate because even if you don't have the experience of being a black person, you know, a woman knows what it's like to be born a woman and be treated and treated accordingly, you know, through life. And I just, yeah, I just hope that there's that sort of understanding and that people will perhaps understand that everyone's got a story to tell. And, you know, the choices we make are not always, you know, it's not a level playing field. You know, we come from very different backgrounds. Some people have a lot more privileges than others. Some of us have a lot more um, barriers, a lot more hurdles to jump over. So it's it's kind of wanting people to understand that, really, that we're all different and we all have very different very different stories and come from very different places.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really strikes me, this thing of the fact that we kind of only hear the stories of the people who have the opportunity to tell them, but that's not to say those are the only stories. And I, I was really struck by... Um, I read an interview with you from Literature Works from a while ago, I think it was, and its it had a line in it where it said that you were in a sociology lecture that was about graves of the 18th century um, and it mentioned these black people's graves in Devon and that you thought, but I was the first black person in Devon. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) And I just thought, gosh, wow, I mean, that must have really suddenly pushed you to be like, hang on, what are these stories? Why haven't I heard these stories? People need to hear these stories.
1: Yeah, totally. That moment changed my life, really. Um, I just remember it really clearly. It was a sunny afternoon and I had this Scottish lecturer teaching us um, on racism and migration and I found it so fascinating. And then when he said that about the about the grave, gravestone in in Devon um I was just like it just kind of blew my world apart it was kind of Mm. like really like I I didn't even know that Britain had any black history I genuinely thought so I'm 20 how old am i 30 years old I think when I sat in this lecture I genuinely believed that I was one of the first mixed race people in this country um you know I knew I knew vaguely about about Windrush I knew I didn't know anything about Second World War and, and um and African-American soldiers and anything at that point. So I genuinely thought that Black people I've only been in this country since the 1950s, and I was one of the first kind of, a, you know, part of a sort of social experiment of, um, mm. you know, white white oh. and black people getting married and having children. So it really, yeah, it just changed my world to think actually there's this really, really rich hidden history in our country, um, and in the southwest, which we, you know, I'd always been sort of led to believe has always been white. Yeah. Um, but there's this rich history of of people from all over the world coming to the UK and coming to Devon and the West Country and it was just it just completely changed my perspective on, on life and I also felt as, as I went along and as I did my own um projects um so the first one I did was like with Lime Reduce Museum we I co-wrote an exhibition and book this was my first kind of commission after leaving uni um on uh, Lime Reduce's Lime Reduce history around um ethnic diverse people and as I went through I kind of discovered more and more and it was it was sort of like but why, why is this not being told? Why don't we know about this? Mm. And I'd say to friends, I'm writing a book on Dorset's black history. And they'd be like, oh, it's going to be a very small book then, isn't it? And I'm like, um, no, actually, <laughs> there's quite a lot of, quite a lot of information out there. And I'd, you know, been looking through the kind of county records um, and discovering that there are lots of links, um, not only with the African slave trade, which is probably like the most obvious kind of connection with, with Africa and, uh, and so on during that time, but also You know, people from all over the world, from various different countries, had come to the West Country for loads of different reasons. And that was becoming sort of, you know, more and more apparent as I went on doing different research. Right.
0: Wow. Gosh, it must have just been so amazing to suddenly uncover all of this stuff that you... I I mean, so many of us hadn't heard about it. And, And that was that was something I wanted to talk to you about today, too, because I know that the Black Lives Matter movement really affected you this year well last year now for you it was just even the realization that there was racism or what racism was impacted you in a really difficult way is that right
1: yeah I mean I think what happened so last summer <laughs> seems ages ago now but last I think was it May when, when when um George Floyd was murdered I think it was May um yeah I think it was anyway so basically what happened was like I hadn't really clocked what happened because for me that was um it happened so many times before, I didn't understand what was different about about his murder. And um, and suddenly, like, my children, my daughters were talking about racism, which they, they don't normally do. Perhaps one of them um, had a little bit before that, because she studied sociology, so she was interested in, and so on. But generally, my daughters didn't really talk about racism, particularly their own experiences of racism as well. And suddenly they were talking about this um, in, in the group chat. And, and then suddenly friends were getting in touch and saying, Louise, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Why, why wouldn't I be? Mm. Um, and then I sort of, sort of realised that something had shifted. And I saw that uh, programmes like Good Morning Britain were tweeting Black Lives Matter. And I was like, what? <laughs> What's going <laughs> on? <laughs> this has just gone, this is just strange. And then it just it just snowballed really and and then you know from one week i was kind of just okay that's you know really sad that that's happened that's horrible and then you know within a week or two i just i was just overwhelmed with people getting in touch um wanting me to do work often unpaid which was really wow sort of upsetting because um there was one particular man who got in touch and wanted me to speak at an event and he messaged me quite late at night when i was in the middle of doing a writing workshop and then um, I said, "Oh yeah, that sounds interesting. You know, send me details." And then they sent them really first thing in the morning. And then he got angry that I hadn't got back to him by about eight o'clock that morning. Oh, gosh. Um, anyway, it was, just, and you know, there was no mention of, of pay or anything. And it just really, it really distressed me. And lots of friends were saying, "Can you just read this? Can you just look at that? Can you just look at this?" And I was thinking, "Do you not understand that this is actually incredibly traumatic for me? Because for the first time in my life, I've got my white friends." talking about racism acknowledging that they have racism within themselves um and it was it was it was huge you know and I just I kind of had a bit of a you know it was a quite an emotional breakdown really I was just crying all the time and saying to my husband do they not understand that this is hard for me it's difficult for me I've been talking about this and writing about this for 20 years mm. nearly um, I've been living with it since I was born I'm nearly 50 years old it's nearly half a century of experiencing racial trauma and carrying it around inside me and suddenly everyone's like oh we've just noticed it mm. <laughs> so it's kind of like I've been talking about this why do you only notice it when it goes mainstream it's not it's not something that's trending this is my life this is real people's lives that we're talking about and it just felt really distressing and I had to really kind of process it and, and sit with it and work through it and one of the things that helped actually was talking to one of my best friends from Totnes um, who I've known since I was 13 and we had a chat and I, I think I've written about this in the memoir actually I went for a walk up to the nature reserve near me and it was drizzling and I was just on the phone to her saying look I feel angry with white people even you even my husband even my mum even my closest friends I feel angry and she and she was just sort of saying look you know she, she kind of she said why does it have to be like this we're just us we're friends you know we're just who we are um and I said yeah we are but you know ultimately we didn't ask for any of this stuff we put on us you know all these ideas were, were set up for several hundred years before we didn't ask for this no one asks for it yeah. a white person doesn't ask to be born into a system of white supremacy however they are because that's how how it has been for you know over 400 years and I think talking to her she you know she said I'm never going to understand how that feels but she did understand that the feeling of loneliness and she could relate to that um and that connection with with my friend just really helped it kind of helped shift my thinking um mm. and I stopped feeling angry and just tried to kind of feel more understanding of the situation mm. not to sort of take it so so personally because I think I had been taking it quite personally up until that point but it's such um, a
0: huge thing isn't it because if you yeah I mean I, I'm just thinking just even as a writer when when I write something and it falls to dead ears it 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 hurts and when yeah. I kind of want to that's why a lot of people want to share their work one way or another because it's an important story to them so yeah if you've spent your life living a story and also not just living it but trying to tell it again and again and again and suddenly everybody wakes up one day and is interested in it that's yeah yeah that's really hard
1: it was yeah, it was hard, and I try to see the positive in it. Like obviously, it's really positive that many, many people and many organisations in in the arts, culture, heritage, and so on, are generally wanting to change. So that is that is a positive thing. But it just did also feel as though there was an element of of it being it's trending, you know, mm. something on Twitter, and it's not that kind of that kind of trending hashtag thing. To me, just feels a bit well, it feels very false and not authentic but I think there are lots of people who genuinely are authentic about this and genuinely do want to change so that's positive um and I almost feel as though I've got a like a a race star I feel as though when I'm talking to people I can kind of almost sense their their real intention and and what they what they feel I might just be completely talking nonsense here but that's how I feel (laughs) like I feel as though I can tell when when people genuinely um want to do something about it and want to work on themselves want to work in the organization and when it's more like a tick box exercise I feel as though I can kind of right I can can tell I feel as though I can tell
0: well I mean you must (laughs) have been having a lot of opportunity to tell because like you say right start <laughs> yeah. straight away you were getting these messages suddenly everybody being wanting to work with you in one way or another or having more opportunity I mean was that something that has really exponentially grown since that movement as your your work yeah yeah
1: it it really 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 grew and there was there was one day when I sat down um and I think I had to go for like I didn't count exactly but it felt like almost a 100 emails in, in wow. one day and so for for a period of a few a few, I don't know, it's more than a few weeks. It's probably like a few weeks when I had the really over you know, crazy amount of, of, of people getting in touch and then it did calm down. But um it didn't ever completely let off and it felt as though it's it's a good thing, obviously, but at the same time I'm only one person and there's a limit to what I what I can actually do. So I'd really like to this year um try and do some mentoring and training of young people mm. across the southwest who could then you know take on and do some of this work because i think you know it's really really important work we're always going to need it even if we do get to a point where um we've kind of eliminated racism which i can't see that happening kind of like now but you know that we might get to that point at sometime in the future but we'll still need to have awareness we'll still need to look at the yeah. history and say this is what happened I mean, you know we need to make sure it doesn't happen again so i think there'll always be that need for people like myself writing and talking about about what's happening
0: or what happened? I, it really um, stands out to me, the fact that, well, what you're talking about, about all of this history that we are lying upon and where white supremacy comes from and why we have these stories that we tell ourselves. And and, and life is one long narrative, the kind of human life. We've told it over all of the years and it's changed over the years. And, and so it's not going to stop being retold. So the importance of training some other people up or mentoring them and sharing these stories with them and how they can continue to work with it and continue to change that narrative moving forwards is just crucial, I I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I hope that I can set something up um, in the near future. It'd be fantastic. And also it's kind of, you know, the next generation, I feel as though, um, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm going to be a pensioner in a <laughs> years' time. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I don't want to get on with my books as well. So, yeah, there's a limit to what I can kind of do. And I, I do... You know, obviously, I'm really passionate about about bringing about social change, but there's all, I also have to be realistic about yes. what I can do as an individual, and what other people can can do as well. Yeah. Um, along so, that, along how that has it been
0: in terms of um for your writing? Because, for instance, I I saw a video of you reading your poem, "Dear White West Country People," which, gosh, I found it really brilliant. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it really moved me. Um, and just kind of showing that emphasis of the difference of experience and and that. The prevalence of it in a moment where Black Lives Matter was coming out and the COVID pandemic was showing all of this racial inequality as well. And, and did writing play an important part to you responding to all the emotions and feelings that were kind of coming up during that time for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think writing that poem um, felt incredibly empowering because up until that moment in time, I wouldn't have dared write right. it. Um, I would have felt too scared to say that to my white friends. And over the years, I've I've tried to say things. I've I've, um, tentatively shared stuff on Facebook. And, you know, often there's the kind of, oh, but white people get that too. Or, oh, I experienced that when I was traveling around Mm. Asia. Or, you know, there's always this kind of like reverse racism argument. Or um, there was once I shared an article, which I hadn't written. Um, It's an article someone else wrote, which which had quite a... um, a clickbait kind of title which was about white people all white people being racist but getting angry when they well, you know when they have to look at it mm-hmm. um and it's based on a theory about, by robin d'angelo who's a white american author and she she's written this she came up with this theory of white fragility which basically means that um that, that white people get quite defensive and quite angry if there's any suggestion they might be racist and then the focus really shifts onto their feelings rather than the, than the person who's saying you know look you're behaving in this way towards me, which is racist. Um, so I shared this article, and I had some people get really angry oh. with me. Um, one person even said, "Oh, how dare you post this and then not be online to, to defend or to, to comp to respond to the comments?" Um, and I was like, "I'm just moving house. I'm like packing my house. I didn't really think it was mm. going to be such a problem." And then, and then also, a white writer friend of mine in Devon. Um, she said oh I'll share it and see what happens and she shared it and people were like oh yeah that's interesting she didn't get attacked at all gosh that's so, so yeah you know it kind of just proved the yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> completely so interesting
0: so oh, I'm really fascinated as well by how how do you manage all of this because you've got all of these different elements to your work that are happening and they've and and they've become bigger and bigger in the last year. So you're doing this social inclusion work and you're doing lectures and you're writing essays and you've got this short story collection. And you're writing your memoir. Kind of, Do you have a, a way that you balance that all out? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> I'm just quite scatty and I'm quite, amazed that I'm quite amazed that I managed to achieve it, really, to be honest. I don't know I just I guess I have different hats in my head so um I can kind of yeah I mean yeah, I've got the sort of I've got the sort of history hat and I've got the creative writing hat and I've got the, the teaching or the workshops hat and then I've got the training and the inclusion and the fun you know I, I write funding bids and all that kind of stuff so um I don't really to be honest with you I just I don't know how I, right. Do it right <laughs> It's quite overwhelming sometimes. Um, and I was working incredibly hard last year without much of a break, really, apart from when my, my daughter had um, had my grandson. So I did take, try and take a couple of weeks off, but it wasn't very relaxing because I was actually working. And then also waiting for baby to come was quite stressful. So I didn't really have a break. And it just, yeah, it kind of got to the point where I just felt like, OK, I need to get better at managing my workload, really. But it's challenging because it's really hard to say no when yes. you're a freelancer. And because I love the work, like I love what I do, it's really important to me. So it is it is tough, you know, it's tough balancing it and juggling it. Um, but my New Year's resolution, one of them, I've seemed to have broken quite a few of them so far. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: haven't, haven't we I haven't
1: all? A, I haven't had a drink yet, so that... <laughs> that's
0: impressive you're that's doing well on the-
1: <laughs> one thing I've achieved so far um yeah one of the one of my plans really is to just get more organized and focused um on my work stream really so that I can manage it better because I think that when you've got like 10 or 15 different projects or different things on the go I mean I, I hope I, I still delivered good quality work but it just felt as though I was juggling quite a lot and I felt quite overwhelmed so I think it's important for me to like all of us, to look after my emotional well-being and, yeah, kind of not get that feeling of overwhelm because there's so many different things going on. So I think it's more about learning to pace and just kind of, you know, there are going to be times where I have to say no even if I, you know, I don't want to, I I think.
0: But that's a huge thing to learn, isn't it? I I mean, it's really difficult as a writer. One, I find for myself when I get into a project, I find it hard to pull my head out of it um, and I can kind of forget about all those basic things. You've been... I don't know, going to make some food for myself. It's like, no, I can't do that. I'm in the <laughs> middle of writing this thing. But also just the not knowing where the next projects might yeah. come from. And yeah. yeah, I mean, how 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 have you ended up in this place? Because I know it's it's really difficult anyway, making it anywhere in the writing world. And then I know that you've talked about difficulties of intersectionality, like creating even more problems of that. So how how did you kind of find your way?
1: I think I did a talk about this actually last year, which was about my journey as a writer talking about intersectionality and the barriers that kind of I've overcome, because I think that there have been a lot of barriers and a lot of challenges along the way. Um, And I don't I suppose I just kind of kept going, Um, you know, and I suppose I must have some some level believed in myself, even though I really did struggle with confidence for a, a long time, even up until. Really, even up until last year, I'd still have that um, imposter syndrome thing. You know that writers, mm. in, well, we all get that, don't we? To some some extent. But I kind yep. of it's only last year that I started thinking, okay, actually, maybe maybe i want something here. Maybe I am good at what I do, and that was the first time I'd really thought that. Um, so yeah, yeah, I really struggled with lack of confidence. But I guess yeah, like I said, I must have somehow believed in myself at some level that I had you know i had a story to tell and i had stories to tell and i and i and i wanted to tell the stories of marginalized people not just people um of african or asian heritage but just you know people who've, who've overcome and faced loads of challenges because in the southwest there's so much hidden sort of deprivation that we don't really we don't really see like um i don't know in literature or film or whatever and i think that well when the west country is represented on on tv it's very um quite strange We <laughs> always have yes. like a, a generic bristolian accent that everyone's everyone <laughs> speaks in across so the true. whole west country <laughs> it's like what we don't all we don't all come from Somerset, um, anyway but um i think that I, I kind of want to not only tell my own stories but also support other people and inspire other people to tell their stories as well because there's so there's so much diversity, so much richness in in our part of the world, and so many different stories to tell. And it's important to have have that diversity of voices in literature and and across the arts because you know just having one kind of set of, of, of experiences it isn't it's not human. It's not it's not. Mm. There's more to being human than just being you know belonging to one sort of group of people. So I think it's really important, and that I guess has has kept me going as well. But it has been it's been tough. It's been really challenging. I, you know I've had to. I live with mental health conditions. Um, I spent a few years really unwell with chronic fatigue or or ME. Um, well, that's what I was diagnosed. with. I don't even know if it actually was that. No. Um, I spent a few years where I couldn't really sort of I couldn't really get out of bed. Couldn't walk. Um, so that was challenging, and I had to kind of look at my health and rebuild my health really, and learn about supplements and diet and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was challenging. But yeah. I think I just kept I kept going. So I just I believe in. I believe in what I do, and I think it's important.
0: Um, so yeah, it's been tough. That's incredible. <laughs> wow, I'm so glad you are keeping on. Um, <laughs> I mean, I really, yeah, moved by also how you how you write about all of these experiences yourself. In so your work really is so personal and very raw. Um, I kind of I'm getting the impression that that's coming from the place that you you always have written to process. Some of the stuff that's going on for you but how has it been then kind of sharing that with the world and having people respond to that
1: it can be quite scary so when I wrote the um dear white west country people poem um the night before it, I, I was filmed record, um I, I was filmed reading some of it by um BBC South um and we went I went down to this beautiful couple of places in Dorchester and um, Maiden Castle and down by the river. So I met this lovely journalist and she she recorded me. So the night before it went out on TV, I was really anxious, thinking, "What are people going to think? Like, what are my white friends going to going to think? What are they going to say?" And I, and I was really nervous. But um, there were lots of there were some negative comments on the Facebook page, but I just didn't really go through all those. But for my actual friends, the the feedback was positive, so that made me feel okay. This this is okay. But I think I am just really open like it's almost like pathologically mm. honest I, I can't help but just share these really personal experiences with the world I don't know why I, I don't really know why I do it but I just I just do I suppose I must find it at some level um healing I, I guess just being really really honest and saying this is what happened to me this is what this is what can happen to other people um and it, it is scary it's, it's daunting and writing the memoir I had a chat with my publisher yesterday um, a little taller books and I said look I'm really struggling with the the feeling of exposing not only myself but my family um mm. you know and I'm writing about people that, that have um, passed away and obviously their families might might read the book and I think I'm worried particularly about what my mum's going to think because you know she's been pretty good so far but I know that she's quite anxious about about me exposing uh, you know our family and our past to the world and she's understandably mm. worried about it but and I was saying to my publisher you know how can I tell my story and be authentic without bringing in other people's stories and you know making them feel exposed or possibly upset by what I'm writing? And he said, Well, it's, it's quite difficult, you know, it, all writers have this have this struggle, but I think with me, because I am very open and honest about everything that's happened, um, yeah, it, it's, it's challenging because I don't want to upset anyone, you know, I, do, I definitely don't want to upset any of my family or extended family, and I know that I have done in the past. Mm. um but yeah I kind of I don't know it's really hard I kind of see it as almost like a price that has to be paid if you're going to tell your truth um yeah. it's, it's hard and it might hurt some people but if, but otherwise what would I do I just I'd stop writing if I didn't if it, you yeah. know if I, was, if I was like okay I'm not going to ever write anything that might upset someone ever again then I wouldn't be able to write anything so yeah I have to I have to make that choice
0: yeah I mean I often think of it as a um as what matters most is your intention and I mean that's a very simplistic way of putting it but I know I wrote a travel book gosh nearly like a decade ago now but um but in it I, I I've always been a very very open person anyway and, and likewise on the page just haven't kind of censored that um, and don't really censor that off the page either <laughs> um, and then often but I will kind of have that later moments where someone's responded in a particular way and I suddenly think oh my gosh did I yeah Yeah. what do people think um but it's the thing of the impact on other people that is yeah at that point I wrote that book I was perhaps just too young to really think about it and I did change names and that was a privilege I could take at the time um but it's yeah I kind of later just thought well maybe it's the intention so long as I had a positive intention about what I was trying to say, and 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 trying to just reflect what was really going on, and, and keeping in my own voice rather than putting things on other people, then yeah, if I didn't tell the story, I wouldn't be telling my truth, which I felt like had to happen. But yeah, it is a really difficult element. I think a lot of writers really struggle with that. It's and really
1: hard. I like the idea about the intention though, because my intention is never to to hurt people. It's simply about telling my story, and yeah yeah it's it is re- it's really hard I think we all we all struggle with that don't we as writers but I think with a memoir because it is kind of putting everything in one place um like my whole life
0: yeah <laughs> wow.
1: it's, gonna, it's gonna be hard um and I'm sort of worried about I think also because my memoir is about um it's always about grief because I've lost I've lost people close to me and um and one of them my daughter's dad's I've written about him quite a lot um he was my first kind of Serious boyfriend, my first love, and he died when my daughter was two. Our daughter was two, um, and I'm writing about him quite a lot, and I, I kind of want it to be like a way of me coming to terms with with, with his loss and other people's loss. Um, no. But because of because of who he was, I'm telling hi, I'm telling my perception of him um, in a way that isn't gonna put him in the best light. Um, but yeah. I, but I'm not doing it out of, out of spite. I'm, it's almost like I'm, I'm kind of doing it out of love, but oh, I don't know. It's not going to necessarily come across like that. So I'm, I am, yeah, I am really concerned. I don't, I don't want to upset anyone, you know, at all. But at the same time, I've got to. I don't want to use that corny phrase. Be true to myself. So I hate it. But um, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you have to I tell your yeah. Yeah,
1: I do have to, and yeah, it's it's really hard. But hopefully, I'll hopefully I'll get a reasonable balance where it's not, yeah, it's not too bad.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you will. You've managed to um, deal with so many heavy themes in your work, and and yet done them with this kind of lightness and uh, kindness that, yeah, really helps. I mean, tell me about so your new book of short stories that's yeah. got quite a lot of dark themes in it. Tell me about where that sto- um, where these stories came from and what that book is.
1: It's it's very much got all about dark themes, <laughs> but I'm hoping that um, yeah, I'm hoping that people will take away some positivity from it, and um, in terms of people's resilience and human resilience and overcoming um, problems and overcoming you know difficulties. But um, yeah, the short story collection. I don't even I never really kind of sort of planned to write short stories. I, I was writing a novel first of all, um, and I I did I kind of finished that, but then I, I realised it wasn't anywhere near ready to be published Um, and then I started another novel, but um which I will go back to and that's in a better better shape but um I think I wrote I wrote my first short story was written years ago and I was inspired by a story of a man who was found on a beach who'd lost his memory um so I'd written that story but I'd forgotten about it and one of my oldest friends actually sent it to me she'd found it on her hard drive and sent it to me I was like okay um and then the, the next one was inspired by a conversation with a friend um and that was called Breaking Glass, and that was about a, a young man in an abusive relationship where, where the woman was was abusive to him. Um, so that was kind of that was kind of a different take on on the whole domestic violence thing, which I which I write about quite a lot. Um, and then I suppose it just it just went from there. I just wrote more stories, and some of them got published. And and then I um, got an Arts Council grant to work on my work to develop my work and i had a mentor which was jacob ross so i first met jacob because he was editor for the um closure anthology of black british um, short stories so he edited broken glass Uh, i worked with him on that and it was actually really hard because he was um he's a really good editor but he he chopped out loads of my story and i was just like heartbroken (laughs) oh my goodness my story but actually he made it so much stronger and so much better um so that was my first experience of, of how editors editors can be, seem to be being cruel, but actually be, be really, mm. being really kind and making the story the best it can be. So I worked with Jacob and I met him at the launch um, of, of Closure in London and he said he, you know, he kind of liked my work and he saw something in my work. And then, so when I got this funding, I asked him to be my mentor on this Arts Council sort of project and he really helped me shape the collection. I think I probably wrote some new stories as well, but he really helped me understand that the form... Um, and he just helped me sort of whip it into shape really so that was that was fantastic um but yeah I think I just wanted to explore because obviously I've written a lot about racism and, and that kind of, and that kind of experience in the west country I also wanted to explore other experiences so for example addiction alcoholism um, domestic violence in more in more detail a couple of my stories explore um, women sort of giving, giving up their babies for adoption um, mm. in a time when it was kind of socially unacceptable really to have children outside of marriage and those kind of themes really fascinate me because I was a single mother with illegitimate children in the early 90s but had I been in that situation two decades before I possibly would have well probably very likely would have been in a situation where I'd be pressured to give up give up my children um so all these kind of things really fascinate me and and I just wanted to explore these these themes these kind of dark themes but I'm hoping I've done it in a way that isn't doesn't leave the reader too depressed (laughs) because everything's so depressing at the moment anyway I'm hoping that it's it's about human resilience um and I mean they're love stories really that they're all about love for someone um whether that love is good for you or not um so yeah I'll have to see what what people think We'll well
0: I can't wait to read them I mean I think there is something very important about the space being allowed to talk about more difficult things and and it's quite easy to forget how prevalent these issues are anyway and how for a lot of people it's just their norm or for a lot of us we have some kind of hard or difficult part of our life that we might not be used to talking about so if someone giving that space and that allowance to be vulnerable like that is I think a really fantastic offering
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoy the book. I'm going to send it to you tomorrow. <laughs> it's on the table, ready, ready to go, and I can make myself go out to the post office. <laughs>
0: uh, one exciting trip. <laughs> I know. I wonder yeah. as well. Um, so you've you've talked about kind of giving space to a lot of these different stories in the West Country in particular, and and something, another element that can be amiss in the West Country. Or southwestern general can, or just rural life in general, can be these opportunities in the literary world. Um, have you found that as something that's kind of affected your work, and that you've had to be scouting out to to move beyond the rural life to be able to find those opportunities?
1: Absolutely, I think that that was probably one of the main barriers. Places probably one of the main barriers to, for me as a writer, as well as as well as being um, black or mixed heritage. Um, there just didn't seem to be, up until fairly recently, kind of any opportunities really for for writers or any support for writers. However, in recent years, um, I've been working with Literature Works, who, who are absolutely fantastic, and they do loads of amazing work. Um, and there's a new. Um, dialect for rural writers is a new sort of um, company that's been set up. So I think there's more, there's definitely more opportunities now for people living in these spaces. But over the years, it's been really challenging. So there's been sort of literary hubs in places like Exeter, Plymouth, and so on. If you're living in, you know, in, in the West Country, then you might have to travel miles to get to one of these events. You know, pre-pandemic, and if you know, if money is an issue for for you for you as for, is for many writers, then you know, I simply didn't have the money to go to all these events all the all the time or so it was, it was really challenging. And I think that um, one of the things that's, that's opened up literature in the southwest, obviously, is lockdown and the fact that we've taken so much stuff online. And that that in itself is an opportunity, you know, it's something good that's come out of a very difficult situation. Um, so I think that it's much easier to connect with audiences and for writers to connect yeah. with other writers as well um, in rural spaces. So I think things have definitely changed um, and hopefully we'll continue to have that connection online you know even if we come out of the kind of situation we're in at the moment so that's that's really positive but I think over the years generally place is a massive barrier because you know if you don't have a very big income and you don't have a car you can't you can't get to places like it's yes, as simple as that yeah and often there's no buses like sometimes it's one or two buses or you know or the last train homes at seven o'clock or whatever so you know living in a rural place can be a massive barrier for writers
0: yeah and yet yeah, it's something that you don't want to give up, I mean, obviously place seems to play a really important role to you you've you've yeah. got these projects that are really firmly based in exploring the history and the present day and just being in the southwest so, yeah, tell me a little bit about how how place plays a part for you and your writing and and why you wouldn't want to abandon it just to be able to be part of a bigger scene let's say. uh
1: well, I love the west country, it's my home, it's beautiful. I absolutely think it's the most beautiful part you know, the country that I've spent any time in anyway, um, and I love it, it's stunning, but the, the landscapes and seascapes here are just beautiful, and the countryside is beautiful, and for me, nature is really, really important, and it's one of the things really that helped me through, through the first lockdown was getting out into nature and, and being in those spaces, so I think that even though there's been lots of times in my life when I have thought, oh, should I move? Should, should I move to London? You know, should I move somewhere where there's more, more going on for me and for my kids? You know, the reality would be that I was I was living in a council on a council estate. The reality would be I'd have to swap to live, in, you know, in an inner city council estate, which I have no preparation for. I wouldn't be able to deal with the reality of of that kind of of that life because it's very it's different it's very different living in those spaces and I'm not used to that Um, and I just didn't want to give up my home I didn't want to drag my children away from their school their friends their home their family just so that we'd have more or different opportunities so even though it's been that constant kind of um, it's been a constant sort of battle in my head really is when I go to London for example or Bristol. I sort of think, oh, what would it have been like if I'd lived in a, you know, a much more diverse community, and what opportunities would I've had? And maybe I'd be like a really super famous, rich writer <laughs> by now. Um, but you know, the reality is my life has been what it's been, and uh, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change where I've lived because I absolutely love the Southwest. You know, it's yeah. it's stunning, and even though it's been challenging because because of the lack of opportunity and because of the kind of attitudes, you know, around race and diversity and so on. Um, you know, it's very, it's very much a part of who I am, and very much a part of what I write about, and why I, why I write.
0: Yeah, I completely hear that. Um, I've got a couple more questions, and then I'll let you go on your way. Um, one of the things I wonder if you have any advice for is, is letting go of projects. So it sounds like you've, you were talking about a novel that you got most of the way through, and and then went, actually, maybe this isn't in a publishable form, and and you've talked about all of this body of work that up until very recently wasn't heard and then suddenly everybody's, everybody's keen on it now and wants to hear more and you've got all these new projects. But how do you deal with the kind of loss of letting go of all the old stuff, all the old material that never got released or, or mm. yeah?
1: That's a good question. So with the novel, the first novel was, um, it's basically about this, uh, this young girl who's of mixed heritage living in Devon and it was really about her hitting back Against um, a, a violent stepdad, and I think that the idea for it came from me wondering what things would have been like in my own family if my dad had stayed. Because my parents split up when I was um, twelve, um, and I've always kind of wondered what it would have been like. And um, you know, because sometimes when children get older, they they don't they're not prepared to put up with that the violence anymore. They're not prepared to watch their their mum.
0: Being abused,
1: and I, I kind of wondered what it would be like for someone to actually hit back against this abuser. Um, so that's where the idea from the, the story came from. And I and I've st- I wrote, you know, I wrote and wrote for ages and ages, and um, a few friends had a look and thought it was good, and so on. But then I, um, I think I worked with, I completely forgot her name now. Sorry, as a writer, I worked with um, as a mentor, and she. Firstly, she didn't really understand the, the whole thing about racism in the southwest, And she sent me a, an email saying, I think it's very unrealistic that this black guy in the 90s would have experienced racism in a nightclub. I, I was in Devon with my friends and we didn't experience any racism. And I sort of sent her a long email pointing out that, you know, this is my lived experience. If she wanted to look at all my other work, um, you know, I, I believe it's actually authentic. Yeah. <laughs> and she apologised. And, um, and then basically she kind of you know pointed out there's a lot of things that needs to be done with this novel and I sort of looked at it and thought yeah it's not it's not what I want to be out there as my first novel it's not it's not publishable at the moment so it might be that I revisit it and actually some of the some of the story um has been put into the short story collection right so this this character appears in the short story collection in a couple of a couple of stories so I haven't like completely let go of the story um but I think it was just a case of being realistic. Like, yeah, it feels sad that I spent all this time writing this and it's not really going to be out there in the world. But I've learned a lot through it as well. Mm. And um, the, the character has is having her voice heard. <laughs> so, yes. so I'm happy with that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's two really important parts of it, isn't it? It's It's all a learning curve. Every time you put pen to paper, it's part of the learning process and 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 that will immediately feed into whatever comes next and play part in that but also yeah it is nice when there is an opportunity for the voice to be heard one way or another and and that was my final question really is you mentioned earlier about performing and missing that face-to-face performing and sharing your work and and giving I think there's something about having the place where you can speak your work aloud it's not not every author likes it but from what I've seen of your readings it there's a lot in your voice and in you reading your work as well and I wonder yeah how how is performing to you what does that bring to you and and why is it that you particularly are keen to get back to in person?
1: I think I just love that kind of those moments of connection where I'm um, reading something to an audience and, and they're kind of you know I'm seeing an emotional response and, and my work's resonating with them that's you you can't really even though I you know I've obviously enjoyed doing the stuff on, on Zoom and so on it's it's not the same um, the first thing I did actually was when I was uh, commended by the national poetry competition last year, um, and we were meant to be going to this this award ceremony in London And I was so excited and I chose my dress and it was all like oh this is going to be so amazing and then it was cancelled because of because of um, COVID and lockdown. And we did an online event instead, which was which was amazing. The fact that, um, you know, the organisers pulled it together so quickly and there was some absolutely stunningly beautiful poetry was shared. It was really moving. There was a lot about grief, which was my poem was also about grief. Um, and it seemed really to fit with what was going on. But afterwards, after the, after we did the session, I just... It was that first day of clapping for the NHS. And I went outside, stood on the step, and I just cried. I was just like, what what is happening? Like, I was so looking forward to this this award ceremony we did it online and that was great but seeing people through a screen it's just it's Mm. not the same um but then you know you get used to stuff don't you I've got used to doing stuff online now and and I think you can connect with people up to a point but it's not the same as actually being there sharing sharing your work sharing your voice with people who then come up to you afterwards and say that really resonated with me or thank you for doing that and it's just nothing can really take take away take the place of, of that kind of performance um, so I definitely do really miss live performance. I'm looking forward to getting back to that. Um, that said, I used to be incredibly nervous about doing it. But as I've gone on, I've just got more confident. And yeah, I basically really enjoy it. I've got better at being in front of a camera as well, which is something that I used to absolutely dread. Um, but now I'm kind of a bit a bit more chilled about it. And it's just, yeah, it's kind of about building your own confidence and understanding that that is a good way to connect with people.
0: Yeah, I, I can absolutely feel that. Missing element of being in person and face to face, but like you say, there is a lot of good that is coming out of being able to have people sharing across the internet, and that's spreading spreading the work further afield. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and it can do international stuff as well. So I'm I'm launching my collection as part of um, an event with Literature Works um, Poetry Africa. That's it. Um, so there's going to be a South African writer as well as some UK writers um, performing at that event. So you know those kind of possibilities you know, didn't really seem to exist before. So that is amazing. We've literally opened opened up our literary world and experience so that is that is a positive thing but yeah i can't wait to get back to actual live performance i'm really looking forward to that that's amazing
0: oh thank you so much for talking with me louisa it's been really wonderful oh thank you and i really look forward to reading your short story collection and i strongly suggest everybody gets themselves a copy it's called stay with me and where can people buy copies from
1: so yeah direct from the publisher for a discount 15% at the moment or it's available on amazon now
0: amazing You've been listening to Words in a Time of Lockdown, a podcast from the writer's block. Music production and editing has been by AMP. We look forward to sharing another conversation with you next time. In next month's episode, I speak with author Emily Barr. Emily has written 12 novels for adults and her fourth novel for young adults is due out this May. This conversation had me smiling throughout. Emily has such a fresh and fun attitude towards writing and I can't wait to share this with you. Hit subscribe and like to support us and hear when the next episode is released.